talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. This is Hamilton Today on 900 CHML. Not Good Morning Hamilton, as the ad suggested a moment ago. Omicron has got into the whole computer equipment here, apparently. Anyway, Hamilton today, it is, if because you, you know what, some of you maybe, you know, slept in a little late and went, wait, what, what time is it? It looks right, it looks light out. No, no, it is Hamilton today. It is 3.08, almost 3.09. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson again today. Scott is ailing. Uh, we don't believe it's COVID. But as far as we know, he just has like the sniffles or something. It's not, he has not been laid low by COVID or Omicron or Delta or... How many days left until uh, shopping for Christmas is done? Because I wonder if that has a part to do oh, with it. Oh, you think Radley. Scott has the shopping bug? Yeah, just the, the last minute bug. All right, we'll, we'll put out that call. If anyone sees Scott Thompson out at a local mall doing last minute Christmas shopping, snap a photo on your phone and text it to us. No, I am. I am quite sure Scott. Scott loves doing the show. Scott's not going to take days off the show just to go shopping. We, I mean, that's what we have Amazon for during commercial breaks. You can do now all your Christmas shopping while hosting a radio show. Just commercial breaks and news breaks. You can order whatever. I mean, I've not done so, but I'm sure some have. Anyway, we are thrilled you're here. We hope Scott gets better. We, we do. We're, we're, we're joking with Scott. We don't actually expect him to be out and about in the community. Although if you do see him, please do take that photo. Nonetheless, uh, Scott is, he'll be back on Monday as we gear up into the Christmas season. Scott Radley in, as I say, for him today. Uh, we have a full show. I mean, we really have a full show today. We are going to pick up the Doug Ford press conference at the bottom of the hour where new regulations, not a lockdown, but new regulations are expected to be announced, uh, including one of the rumors and, you know, let's not say the word rumor because that just, you know, people are saying, well, then why don't we just not have rumors and wait till the bottom of the hour? One of the strong suggestions we're getting is that numbers, instead of 25 people for gatherings, it'll be 10 which five minutes ago before we came on air, I was frantically looking at both sides of my family, my side and my wife's side, because we get together with each of them at Christmas time. And guess what? Each side, if you add them up, come to 10. Whew! Just under, because I'm thinking, who gets to not be invited? <laughs> who's, who's the black sheep of the family that suddenly were like, no, Bob, stay home, you're not wanted. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? Uh, we are going to be talking about Omicron a bit today, about the, how do you stop this, first of all, because that's really the number one question, but also, you know what, um, I don't know if you're feeling this, I, I am, I, I am admittedly feeling this, and I know a lot of other people are, just this sense of weight and doom and darkness and heaviness, and it's like, really, we're, we're doing this again, we're back to this again, and, and it's, look, it's not just us, I, I'm reading stuff from all over the world. Like if you think that Ontario or Canada are the one place where this has become a problem or some sort of some, for some reason that rules or regulations here have not worked. Look, Denmark, Denmark, the, the utopia, right? Isn't Denmark supposed to be the socialist utopia where everything is perfect? Denmark is seeing cases double every single day, right? We're seeing stuff from all over the world. It's everywhere. It's not just here, but it does feel kind of heavy. We're going to talk to a psychologist about how you deal with this because honestly, it's, it, it does feel heavy. Now, we are not going to only, only pile on Omicron today, just to be assured. 
We don't want to add to your heaviness. We're, we're here for light. Brightness and light is what we're all about here on the show. Uh, we're also going to be talking about um, your cell phone. You know, did you hear about, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, you know, the, with the shooting on his movie set. Now the police are trying to get his cell phone and you realize what your cell phone is carrying around in it. What information? We're going to talk about that. It's kind of startling. If we, if you, if you wanted to have something worse than Omicron to think about, think about the information that's on your cell phone. If anyone could hack into that one, uh, we'll be talking about that. And then, and then at five o'clock today, something very special. We haven't done this before. We've tried to a lot of times. We haven't done this before. Rick Zamper, host of Good Morning Hamilton and Bill Kelly, host of the Bill Kelly show. And I will be talking together sort of a. I was going to say a round table, but with three of us, it'll be a triangle table from five till six thirty. about all kinds of different stuff. Uh, Scott Thompson would have joined us. Alas, as I say, he is shopping. I mean, he's sick. So he is, uh, he is not able to, we're kidding, Scott. Uh, but yes, we'll be doing uh, Rick and Bill and I from five to six thirty. So stick around for that as well. Here on, by the way, if you're looking for something to celebrate and you're, you're needing to feel good about something, uh, today is National Ugly Christmas Sweater Day, which I see that Will, through the glass, is, oh, no, no, that's just his regular shirt. Sorry, Thanks. Will. Sorry, Will. I, I thought you were wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, but that's just your wardrobe. My grandma gave me this. Well, okay, let's switch it then. Today is National Maple Syrup Day. Which, because everything else is gloomy and you know, remember you heard a couple of days ago, Canada has had to dip into its emergency maple syrup reserves because it's been a bad year for maple syrup. We have, isn't that amazing? Isn't that the most Canadian thing ever? We have national emergency maple. Most countries have oil reserves or gold reserves. We have maple syrup reserves just in case, just in case things run low and you know, Bob and Doug McKenzie are needing maple syrup on their pancakes and Yeah. We, we've tapped into our national maple syrup reserves. I'm proud of that because I think I personally have maple syrup reserves, so I'm glad to know that our <laughs> government has them as well. I want to know where they keep them. Where are these giant tanks kept underground somewhere like Fort Knox where you cannot, and there's there are guards, standing guard around there, like armed Canadian soldiers. Do not touch our syrup. This is in case of a pancake emergency. Lots of other stuff to get to today. It is a, as I say, it is a very full show, which we will dive into right after this. We are going to be going to Doug Ford's press conference shortly, but before we do that, in the time we have, I wanted to bring on Jamie Dowick, who is the owner of the Toronto Rock, now the, well, the sort of quote, quote, Hamilton Toronto Rock, playing out of First Ontario Centre. Uh, Jamie, how are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you for coming on. Uh, tomorrow night, you guys have a special game here in Hamilton. I wanted to make sure people knew about this. What's going on tomorrow night? Well, we got a couple things going on. First and foremost, I think, you know, the big thing is uh, we're wearing what we've trotted out as our third jerseys, um, which is kind of a tribute to the uh, current teams of the Hamilton area and the Ticats and uh, and 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 the bulldogs and the honey badgers and things like that and then and then also we're doing our first annual uh, teddy bear toss and uh you know it's a great way great opportunity um for people to give back to the less fortunate and we've teamed up with the united way and kojiko is presenting that and and we're pretty excited about it you know especially with all the crazy things going on right now so yeah um, yeah you know 
it's uh, you know it's it's an ever changing society and you know we we're we're ready for that and and you know we've got all precautions ready to go for tomorrow night and you know social distancing isn't going to be a problem and things like that so um, you know it'd be nice to get through tomorrow night we don't have another home game for for almost a month after that and uh, hopefully everything kind of starts to settle down a little bit on the outside here. Jamie, we're all touching wood right now and crossing our fingers and toes for that, absolutely for sure. Um, you you had, this is your second home game, you had a, I thought, what was a terrific crowd for your first home game a couple of weeks ago. Is that the number, it was a little over 8,000, I think, if I recall. Is that what you were sort of expecting when you came here? Uh, that, that's the... Uh, you know, what we were expecting and coming out of COVID and everything, I, I don't know. I, I, I was pretty, we were pretty pleased by the, the crowd for the first game. Um, you know, obviously we want to get the numbers much higher than that eventually. Um, December's historically been a, been a tough month for the NLL as far as fans go. And, you know, we're seeing it a bit this weekend, the crowd obviously, and with everything going on, some people are choosing to stay away as well, but, you know, as we get closer to Christmas, you know, we've always seen a big dip in the crowd. So, you know, we're, that's what we expect. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think that we can get a lot higher than that. But um, I don't want to say we were we were totally surprised, but I, I was very pleased by the the support and you know, very encouraged by the atmosphere at uh, First Ontario Centre. I thought it was electric. I thought it. You know, it had a better vibe than the Scotiabank. And, and, you know, it's a different arena. It's a different structure. And, you know, I know the players on my team felt it. I know the players on the other team. Talked to one of the guys on the other team after the game, and he said it it just had a different feel, and it was just an awesome atmosphere. And, you know, we looked at the building on that. Rome wasn't built in a day. No. And uh, we believe in what we're doing and, and we believe in our product and, and our entertainment value and all those things. And, you know, I thought I appreciate the article. I thought your article after our home opener, you know, I, I, I loved it. I, I thought you hit on a lot of things that we focus on and, 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 you know, that a lot of people maybe just don't know or take for granted. But, you know, it, like I've said before, we're, we're this. We're, we're here for the long haul and we're trying to build something here. And, you know, we look forward to the days when we can, you know, fill the building and, and without restrictions and this and that. But for the time being, you know, we feel like we're okay. We can accommodate, you know, the people that want to be there. And at the same time, you know, give them the opportunity to be social distanced and feel comfortable with uh, what's going on in there to, to, to enjoy the game in person still. Uh, tomorrow evening, if people want to come, uh, the time of the game, and, and are you selling toys there that people can buy, or do they have to bring one with them? Yeah, no, we are selling them there. People can bring bring a new or gently used one with them, or we are selling them at the arena. I believe uh, one for fifteen or two for twenty. And yeah, in the second period, when we score our first goal in the second period, everyone's going to throw them on the floor, and and those will be gathered and and you know partnered with United Way to help, you know, the less fortunate over, over the holidays here. So it's a great, great thing. And we're hoping for, 
lots of support for that. And I don't know, did you say the time of the game tomorrow? Is it 7 tomorrow? The time of the game is 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Okay. Uh, Jamie Dowick, owner of the Toronto Rock. Oh, we call him the Hamilton Rock around here, but, you know, we know. Uh, Toronto Rock uh, lacrosse Rock team. City. Rock City. Rock yeah. City. There yeah. you go. Rock We're City. Uh, tomorrow night. Jamie, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Uh, so there you go. That's, uh, that, that is an opportunity tomorrow. And tonight, if you're wanting to do something, because, you know, those toy toss games, very popular for good reason. No matter what the sport is, and a lot of teams now doing it, I don't even know where it started, but it's become a huge thing. Tonight, the Hamilton Bulldogs, if you go down to the arena, go down to First Ontario Centre, the Hamilton Bulldogs game starts, I think it's 7 or 7.30, I think it's 7, check their website. Uh, they are having their toy toss game tonight. So, And the thing about this is, if um, we're about to go to the Doug Ford press conference any second, we don't know what's going to be said, but I think probably depending on how this Omicron thing is going, it's a fair assumption that there could be added restrictions, not a lockdown, but added restrictions placed on things. Plus, you've got people being a little more nervous about going out and being part of these events. If this is something that you are interested in doing, uh, I would, not just for the Toy Toss, although that's a good event too and and for a good cause, uh, this may be your time to get out and do it because, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean... We don't know what the future holds. We don't. But my goodness, um, as I said off the top, it is uh, it is feeling very much like March 2020. All the promises are that we're not heading back into a lockdown. That's positive. That's positive. But there are new restrictions put in. You saw what happened in Montreal last night where they played the Montreal Canadiens game in front of an empty arena again, again. And if you were listening to the show before ours here on 900CHML, you heard the discussion about what happens. Could you see teams going back into a bubble? Could you see them playing in a bubble again? Could you see them playing just a Canadian division? Could you see them playing without fa- Who knows? I mean, we don't know. We don't know where this thing is going. We don't know where this thing is heading. So if you are not already in full-on panic mode about Omicron, and I hope you're not. I, I mean, it's we're not mocking it, we're not belittling it, but I hope that you have not gone from wherever you were on the panic scale to full-on running along the street with your arms in the air, screaming at the top of your lungs. I hope that's not your state of panic at this point. If you're not there yet, this may be your chance to get out and have an evening out, whether it's tonight or tomorrow or whatever, because who knows? Who knows? I mean, we are, we are crossing our fingers and in touching wood, as I say, but, um, I just don't know. And no one else does. I mean, I look, I'm, I'm not, it's not just cause, just because I'm not a doctor. I, nobody knows where this thing is going. And if you start looking at the numbers and again, I don't want to be totally, you know, depressing, that's really not why we're asking you to tune into the show to be depressed. <laughs> this is not the 900 CHML bring you down hour. It's just, you know, every day it seems there's more news that makes you kind of feel that way. It's just, it's life these days. It's, it's, it's difficult. And now we're talking again about will there be more restrictions? Will there be limitations on how many people can gather? Will there be caps on how many people you can have at your house for Christmas? Although that one I always thought was sort of tough. 
because how are they going to find out, really? I mean, who's going to – if you have if you have a neighbor that would see you having a Christmas dinner and see a few people walk in and they're sitting at their front window with a clipboard going, oh, there's one, there's two, oh, there's three more going in, we're up to five. If you have a neighbor who would call you, call on you, snitch on you because they saw 12 people go in. Like Don Bewitched? Yeah. If you, that's, that's a tough neighbor. That's a, that's a neighbor that is not going to, you're not going to have good neighborly relations. I mean, look, I'm not suggesting for a second that you just flout the laws. That's not what I'm saying at all. But could you imagine? There must, there must be those neighbors. There must be. And I think once upon a time, way earlier in this whole pandemic, we did a caller segment asking if you would snitch on your neighbors. And of course, for that particular caller segment, it was one of the very few times we ever said, it's okay, don't give us your name. (laughs) Because I don't think anyone's going to call in and admit it. And I think a few people called in and tried to hide their voices. They suddenly talked with an English accent. Hello, I'm Bob. Yes, I'll snitch. And like, of course, they were, you know what I'm talking about. But I don't know. We are going to be going to the Doug Ford press conference, which is running late when it starts. However... While we have time, we are thrilled to bring in Dr. Dion Allman, Associate Professor from the Department of Mechanical and Industrial Engineering, Faculty of Applied Science and Engineering, and Director of Medical Operations Research Lab at the University of Toronto, who joins us now. Dr. Allman, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. You, uh, you have the best title. I mean, you need a three-fold-out business card to get all that in. That's... Um there's a lot That's of stuff. Not even there. all of it. <laughs> <laughs> four four fold outs then. Um, I want to talk about we we've one of the things I think that people are so frustrated at right now about COVID, and there's a lot of things that people might be frustrated about, is that for a lot of people, they've done everything that has been asked of them. And they've done the vaccines, and we heard that if you get vaccinated, if most people get vaccinated, we'll be done with this. And if you socially distance, you'll be done with this, and if we wear masks, we'll be done with this. And here we are with numbers going back up again. It, it, like for a lot of people, they have done every single thing and we seem to be no further ahead. Yeah, it, it, is, it is completely frustrating because all of that was exactly true. Get vaccinated, wear your mask, and we'll all be out of this in no time at all. And then along comes Omicron, uh, shaking things up. Um, you know, the, the unfortunate reality is that just the longer the pandemic goes on globally, it's not just about what happens here in Ontario or here in Canada or even here in North America. Um, you know, this is a global pandemic and what happens in one place ultimately affects us all. And uh, just really, it just comes down to bad luck mm. that uh, we ended up with Omicron, which is very highly transmissible and which um, uh, is not as well prevented um, at uh, at, uh, stopping infection as Delta and the previous variants with just two doses of the vaccine. But the really good news is that a third dose does seem to bring immunity way back up, nice and high, to uh, similar to uh, to what we saw with um, the previous variants. So, you know, you go, you get one more shot in your arm, and, well, barring, you know, another terrible and annoying variant, um, we should be out of the woods again soon. All right. Basically, it yeah. you know, comes down to how quickly can we get shots in arms and how well people will continue to adhere to just wearing a mask when you're indoors, regardless of your vaccination status. And look, we were, we were sort of joking at the top about the length of your title. I mean, you are an expert in this, you know this stuff, but I, I do wonder, even listening to you, if people are going to be saying, 
I understand what you're saying, but I've done all the things we've asked and it didn't work. So I wonder if people are going to be less willing or less eager to run out and do all the things again, because they say, why, why, why bother if the experts have told us this and it hasn't worked, why bother now again? Well, the only extra thing that's being asked of people now is to get a third dose. And, you know, it is annoying, right, especially because, you know, there is a bit of a, like the vaccine hunger games that has to be played. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get your if you want to get your third dose quickly, it's kind of like with the first and second doses all over again. Um, but everybody should have been wearing continue. It should have been wearing their masks indoors, uh, you know, continuously like that shouldn't never have stopped. Um, and, you know, I know I think probably the worst of, of all of this is the timing right before the holidays. People want to get together yes. with their families. They want to have long, drawn-out extended meals. They don't want to bother with their masks. And, and I can definitely understand that. You know, we've all had a long, uh, more than a year and a half now. You know, we haven't seen our families as much as we would like to and our friends. And, you know, it is the holiday season. Um, but uh, if we want to make sure that we're all as safe as we can be and that nobody ends up paying, you know, a, a very steep health price, uh, for those uh, family gatherings, go out and get your third dose. And uh, if you're if you're unable to make it happen before the holidays, uh, pick up some rapid tests wherever you can. Um, you know, it might be difficult to wait in the apparently extremely long LCBO lines to uh, to get the free test, but uh, there are places online that sell them. And just ask guests uh, that are you know coming um, for uh, for parties to to just do a rapid test. Um, you know, I've got a bunch myself. I've done them. You know, it's pretty, pretty painless. It's not like the brain tickle of like going to a COVID. Yes, uh, yes. The pituitary gland poke. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's really, it's just, it's just a swipe around your nostril and, uh, you know, then you wait 15 minutes uh, for a result. And even if the test results are imperfect, you know, they are still pretty good. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, see, so I think if they had that. just, I think if they had offered free samples at the LCBO while you wait, there would be no complaints about the lines there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, why have, uh, one of the questions that I have heard a number of times, and I'll throw it to you, why have the vaccines not worked as well as perhaps we hoped. And and I say that, I know some people will say, well, they have. If you get your smallpox vaccine or your polio vaccine or whatever, they are good for either your lifetime or a many, 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 many years. Why have these ones not done the same thing? Um, well, it's actually not uncommon for vaccines to require uh, boosters uh, every so often, like, for example, tetanus. You're supposed to get a tetanus shot uh, every 10 years to stay current. Of course, lots of people don't, but if you're in construction or, you know, any sorts of anything where you find yourself ever occasionally around metal or sharp pieces of metal or rusty metal, you're probably up to date on your tetanus, and that's just something that you have to get a booster for. Um, but all viruses are different, and all, you know, vaccines are different, and uh, vaccines have different staying power uh, in your body. And Omicron, you know, is really kind of significantly structurally different, um, you know, as a virus than, uh, than the previous variants of COVID. So it's not so surprising that uh, it responds differently to the vaccine. And unfortunately, that difference makes it, uh, uh, I guess, more robust um, to the vaccine. But Again, one more dose of vaccine just basically gives our immune system an extra, an extra boost, an extra refresher uh, to uh, to be able to handle Omicron. I, I'm looking even as we talk at your expertise. I don't think sociologist is in there, but it may be. I may have just missed it. 
But do no, you think? <laughs> but do you? Th- so it's maybe an unfair question. But do do you think that people are going to do the things that they are asked again? Because again, you you mentioned it just a moment ago, and it's a real problem here. This is right before Christmas. People missed Christmas for the most part last year. They have already made plans for this Christmas, and I, I just I sit there and I wonder how many people are going to say you know what, yeah, I'm going to cut everything back again and not do it again. I, I think it's a huge ask, and I don't know how many people are going to buy in. You know, it's a big ask, but I think a lot of people will. I think a lot of people understand the big picture. A lot of people have family members that uh, are at heightened risk of severe COVID outcomes, You know, whether it's because they're elderly or um, they have compromised immune systems, so they're cancer treatments, cancer survivors, or they're just kids that haven't been vaccinated. You know, a lot of people understand that there are you know, possibly very significant risks to proceeding just as planned with, uh, with these family gatherings. Of course, lots of people will proceed exactly as they planned, but there are things that you can do to, to mitigate that risk. Like if you really just absolutely have to have that family gathering, get rapid tests, all right? Ask people to get tested um, before they come in the door, and that way you can just have that little bit of extra security. A really very little inconvenience. Doctor, I ha- doctor, I apologize for interrupting. I have to jump in because Doug Ford has just taken the podium. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Very much appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. You just heard Doug Ford, Scott Radley, by the way, in for Scott Thompson today. Uh, You just heard Doug Ford's press conference with the new restrictions on numbers of people at events down from 25 to 10 and a bunch of other things. And um, I hope you caught all that just so you could keep up on the whole list. I want to bring in uh, Dr. Steve Jordans. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. And the reason we want to bring the doctor in, um, doctor, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Good to be with you, other Scott. Uh, it, it seems as though, and you know, we're as guilty of doing this as anyone else, but you can't go anywhere these days without kind of being bombarded with this sense of heaviness about everything that's happening because... Suddenly, everyone seems to be having this flashback to March of 2020, and we felt like we were past this, and now we're starting all over again. It seems. How do you? How do you? How, how do you not let yourself feel completely crushed by this? Uh, it's hard. I mean, it really is. There's there's a classic experiment on something called learned helplessness, where they kind of show if you put in a, in this case an animal in some situation where it can't escape a negative outcome. If it, it'll try for a few times, and then it'll just stop trying. It'll just sort of curl in a corner and, and give up. And in some cases, that was seen as a model of how depression kind of occurs. To some extent, we are in that experiment right now. You know, we keep trying things. We keep having all these restrictions and obeying all these rules. And, you know, just when it feels like it's starting to get better, you know, bang, we haven't escaped anything at all, and we seem to be right back where we started. So, you know, psychologically, these are the conditions that are going to make some of us feel um, a little bit of that hopelessness or helplessness, and and that's linked to what we call disempowerment. We Mm -hmm. just start to feel like, man, is there anything we can do uh, to help us get through this? And and that's sort of an uncomfortable spot to be. Uh, it's inevitable. Uh, what, what I recommend is just, you know, yes, we're going to be there and we're going to find ourselves there, but we don't have to live there. We can find ways to get ourselves to other places. And, and you yourself mentioned only positive music on the radio station. You know, we can do things through the environment to try to help our mental state not continually be in that in that negative place. You mentioned the study that you just cited, and I, I wonder, though, if... 
is does it feel like it does right now because we feel like we can't get out of it or because we felt very much like we were getting out of it and now all of a sudden we're slapped right back to where we start like would we yeah. be feeling better if this had been an ongoing thing or is the, the the hope that we had and then get snatched away what's doing it to us yeah i mean this, this is always of course in a ridiculously unprecedented situation but i think i, I think you're right it's it's more speculation on my part but but yeah, I mean, when you start to feel like you're coming the other side, we know from a lot of studies that, for example, marathon runners often run faster near the end of the race. You know, there's a sort of magnetic pull towards the end. And when you're starting to feel that pull and you're starting to feel like you're getting there and then it just gets taken away from us like this, it's it's a shot in the gut. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, it really makes us all think like I remember last Christmas I was yes. telling people, you know, we're going to have to suck it up this Christmas, but plan for next year, I said. You know, have family reunions, do whatever. We'll have a great Christmas next year. And now here we are, and we're like, oh, my goodness, are we even going to be able to get together with loved ones? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, look, people would come to you for hours-long sessions to help them through this. We're now putting you on the spot and saying, okay, you've got two minutes or less. <laughs> um, which I, I understand is impossible, and I apologize. But, I mean, if, if people are feeling like they're being compressed by all this, like there's a heavy weight on them. Yep. What is, give us one suggestion that somebody might want to try other than drinking heavily or, or whatever <laughs> else. Yeah. So um, let me just be very clear at first. I am not a clinical psychologist. Um, I, I just want to be very sure. clear about that. I'm a psychology guy that knows a whole lot about human psychology in a variety of ways. And And the important thing here is a lot of these things we're talking about, these are not deep psychological issues of a sort. This is largely stemming from anxiety, us feeling like we're constantly under threat, and that gets our mind into a really negative state, which fills our body full of cortisol and adrenaline, and those things actually wear us down and cause burnout. So we have to not stay in that state. So how can you get out of that state? You can use the environment, you know, just like watching the news makes you stressed out. Finding other things. Is there something that makes you laugh? Um, could you create a playlist of songs from when you were a teenager and play that playlist and relive those memories and kind of go to that happy spot? Uh, find what it is that takes your mind away from all of this and view that as medicine. Start to mm. schedule it. Start to make sure that's a regular thing. The other one I'll highlight really important is our social connections with people that we really love and that we're close to. We really need to use those to help us get through this, and, and I highly recommend use the telephone because it's not the words that are said. It's all the grunts and the groans and the nonverbal sounds that tell us that we're listening to each other and that we're there for each other. Those sounds are critical. So pick up a phone, call somebody, find any excuse, and spend a little bit of time like we did in the 1980s talking on the phone, mm. uh, and I think you'll find that you feel better afterwards. Dr. Steve Jurdens, I wish we had a lot more time, but I really do appreciate you jumping in for a few minutes today. Thank you for this. No problem, Scott. Thank you. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson on this Friday afternoon as we head into the Christmas week. Uh, and it is time. It's 436. It is time for everyone's favorite segment of the show. Give away a free car. No, no, that's not what we're doing today. No, no, no. That's right. No, no, no. Give away a free car. We were going to give away Jeff Story's car, but he's not parked here today. So uh, he's the boss. Uh, if he's listening, he'll be relieved to know that we're not giving away his car. Uh, but it is time for the roundtable. Will Erskine is here. Lisa Poleski is here. And guys, the tr the uh, Twitter poll today, let me tell people what the Twitter poll is because I've completely forgotten to mention it all the way along. 900 CHML Twitter poll. Now that the latest COVID-19 modeling has been released by the Ontario Science Advisory Table, 
Are you adjusting your holiday plans? Lisa Poleski, yes or no? Um, not at this point. I think, um, I, I, I don't have as many people, you know, I, we're not going to see extended family this year anyway. We already kind of knew that going in cause it's still a little, everything's just too, a little on a little too uncertain, but I'm still going to like hopefully see my parents. I mean, fingers crossed Fewer than that 10. nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fewer so than fine. 10. Yeah, I'm fine. You're fine. According to these numbers. Will, what do you say? Uh, well, first, I just want to say, uh, so far, people are voting 63.1%. No, they're not Good. changing their plan. For me, I have changed my plans because all the excuses I use to get out of holiday plans, I can save all those and just say Omicron this time so I don't have to see people. So for me, I'm, I'm changing them a little bit. And when I say good, I'm not saying good that people are ignoring the suggestions. I'm saying good because I think people need to be able to get together with family. I don't want everyone to be canceling again like last year. We did, we did Christmas dinner by Zoom last year. And you know what? Look, technology is great that we were able to do something to be together. But I'll tell you what, you ever see that skit on Saturday Night Live from about 15 years ago where they're sitting at the dining room table just clinking their plate with their, as they're cutting and no one's <laughs> talking? All you could hear was clinking. Oh, no. Clinking and chewing. And it was like, all right, well, we were together sort of, but not ideal. You also can't pass any like uh, sides across the table no. through the computer. That's not, we don't have that technology yet. No, no. Although, you know, we don't usually have family fights at the table, so we didn't have to ignore those. But some people, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, Uncle Bert didn't have to get kicked away from the table because he drank too much. And then, uh, <laughs> How do you do the feats of strength for your Zoom nah, festivus? No, we, don't, you we know? didn't have festivus. We were not, uh, and we did not have any of the airing of grievances either. So... Okay, so a Florida man. Every good story starts with the line, a Florida man. (laughs) Oh, no. A Florida man was kicked off a United flight for, this week, for, he wore a mask, but he was still kicked off the flight for not wearing a proper mask because what he wore on his face was... Oh, no. A thong. (laughs) A pair of thong Mm. underwear was serving as his mask. It doesn't say if it's man's thong or woman's thong. I don't know that that makes much of a difference, but um, Will, we'll go to you first on this one. If you were sitting next to a guy on a plane wearing, who was supposed to wear a mask and instead he was wearing a pair of thong underwear to cover his face, would you be <laughs> disgusted? Would you be upset? Or would you be just impressed at his creativity? Um, I think I might applaud his his. He gets a, a star for effort, but only one star out of ten. And uh, no, I think he needs to uh, rethink that. Go pick up an, at least a novelty mask at the gift shop or something at the airport. Uh, that is not COVID safe, sir. And I'm not sure it's safe in many other ways well, as well. Well, you know, we, know, we don't know what size thong. This could have been That's a gigantic true. thong that covered his whole face. I mean, they do come in different sizes, Even I assume, Even then, I don't right? think you can get an N95 thong. <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask how big was it and how was it fastened? <laughs> but, I mean, more, it just makes me sad in that circumstances. Like, dude, you can't even get creative. I was hoping you were going to go down the road of he was going to be wearing, like, a, a Jason mask or the Michael Myers mask from, like... That's a mask? Yeah, like, <laughs> those are technically a mask. I don't know if they meet the CDC requirements or whatever. But. Uh, you know, the rules, though, say you have to wear a mask. They don't clarify that it's not an old school hockey mask. That's You're, you're, you're 100% right. That could be a really interesting fight if they had that. I think as long as you had the, uh, the, the mouth part covered up, but if you wore that over top, I think it would be fine. Now, see, I, I, part of what I'm wondering how he wore this, I'm assuming that he wore this with the thong part sideways to cover the 
length of his face, not with the triangle facing down because that would cover nothing. But here's the thing about this. While it's ludicrous and while I, I honestly don't have a huge problem with the airline saying you can't wear a thong as your official <laughs> really? mask. Really? Shocking. <laughs> You know, you walk around town these days and you see people with masks and how many people are truly wearing their mask 100% properly, covering their nose <laughs> and their the mouth? Oh my gosh. Not many, right? I can tell you, every uh, every time I go on the bus, I ride the HSR, um, every time I go on the bus, at least one person has the, the, the mask kind of dangling below their nose yes. or like just their mouth fully out and it's like a chin strap. And I'm like... So what's the difference other than aesthetics? Well, exactly. It's really, technically, they're not wearing it properly. And I think Dr. Richardson said something to that effect recently in her city update. She uh, she was like, you know, we're seeing some people who are kind of forgetting how to wear the mask properly. Just a reminder, goes over the nose, over the chin. I'm like, I don't think these people were wearing them properly to begin with. Let's be real. I don't know. Well, <laughs> if you're not wearing it properly anyway, what difference does it make whether it's a real mask or a pair of underwear. Not much, but I don't think that's in defense of Thong Man. I think that's a condemnation of those people on the bus. I just am waiting for next week when Dr. Richardson has to specify thongs are not uh, uh, accepted <laughs> forms oh, of mask wear. Can we, let's not go down the road of Florida Man. Come on, it's already bad enough. People think badly enough of Hamilton. We're better than that. Uh, you hope so. We, we would hope so. I although The uh, silence after that for a second. <laughs> although I did also see a story from earlier. Now, the thong is taking it to a, a new level. I did see a, f- a photo with a story of a man who wore as a mask tidy whities on his head with the thing set so each leg was like a giant eye hole. And... <laughs> You know, it, it, he looked like he was just like he'd been. Was he fighting crime? He, he, well, yeah, he was underwear man. He, but he, he looked like he got uh, mugged in the laundry, and that was all he had left to wear as a mask. So uh, I, I don't know what is more impressive, or what you what what would you be more thrown off by if you saw someone walk in with tidy whities with the legs as eye holes as a mask or a person wearing a thong on their head, Lisa. And I'm sure that when you came into work today, this was not a question you were anticipating you'd be asked. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> it's a strange place to work sometimes. No, but uh, I, I think both of them, they're both underwear. So either way, it's just one of them has bigger leg holes than the other. <laughs> Isn't that true? That's yeah. exactly my thought. Yeah. I think I would be more thrown off by the tidy whities. Yeah, yes, actually, yeah, you know what? Those Keeping those as your eye hole, that, that I'm not saying from experience, but that <laughs> You've never worn your tidy whities on your head? No comment. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it would be more difficult to kind of wear that overall, whereas the thong is just like, I would be confused about what it even was. <laughs> See, if I was sitting next to someone on the plane who was doing this, first of all, uh, I, I, I don't get all that bent out of shape when someone's not wearing their mask. Perfect. Maybe I should, maybe that's a flaw on me that I don't correct everybody, but I don't feel like I need to walk around being the schoolyard, the, the hall monitor telling everyone to fix their mask. I know there are people who do that and good for you for, if, if someone sat next to me on a plane, I, Frankly, again, we've just been talking about how gloomy everything is and how I would think, thank you for the hilarious laugh. I mean, don't sneeze on me. Don't cough on me. Um, I would take a photo and make sure it went viral. That that that. would be my interest at that point, because I know the flight attendants are going to take care of the safety bit. I'll do the fun part. (laughs) See, that would be a perfect thing. I would probably try and do a video interview with the guy to find out the... 
the trajectory? I mean, are, where did these come from? Are they his? Are they his wife's? Did he just find them lying around somewhere? Well, oh, no. That's your journalism spirit well, going. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I need more of that. Maybe. that. Was, I think it would be a very funny interview. And then you find out that he's the mayor of some town or something. I mean, who knows where. Anyway, I, I had lots of other stuff to get to, but somehow we got hung up on a thong, which. Uh, they have a tendency to do that. It could be the title of a song, isn't it? Hung up on a thong. So, could be a uh, could be the title of a great song down the road, a party song. We're looking for party songs today on All Request Friday. If you know a song called Hung Up on a Thong, please request it. Our poor next guest sitting there waiting to come on and the thong song starts playing with no idea. If you were listening last segment, those of you listening, you will understand. But um, Carm Levy, tech analyst uh, who is joining us now. Uh, Carm, I, I apologize for that as an intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no need to apologize, Scott. Strangely, not the weirdest song I've heard all day. So no, we're totally good. Uh, listen, we wanted to talk to you because of a very strange story. Got nothing to do with anything else we've talked about today. Um, we now hear that police are trying. We know everyone knows about Alec Baldwin and the fact that there was a shooting on his set of his movie Rust, and he was the guy holding the gun. And there's no dispute about any of that. I don't think by anybody. And now we hear police are trying to get a hold of his cell phone, his iPhone, his smartphone, whatever it is, to dig around, I guess, for texts or messages or videos or who knows what. And it got us thinking, you know, those phones, Carm, um, it is amazing how much of a, a, a paper trail, a breadcrumb trail of our life that we carry around with us on those things all the time. You're absolutely right, Scott. I think we need to look at our smartphones really as the digital equivalent of a sponge. And uh, it is constantly soaking up information on us, how it's being used, even if it's sitting in our pocket and, and we're not actually interacting with it directly. It's still uh, absorbing a, a whole bunch of data about what we're up to. Uh, it knows where we are. It knows who's trying to reach out to us. It knows where, what network it's on, what nearby devices there are. All that information uh, then gets either stored on the device or increasingly shared with cloud-based services that we sub subscribe to. So literally, like, we are creating this incredible digital trail uh, of our lives, and all it takes is to kind of forensically dissect the phone, look through all that data, look through the software, look through all the services that it connects to, and you can get a really comprehensive picture of what someone has been up to um, and what their life looks like. And that's really what the what law enforcement is trying to look for with Mr. Baldwin. They're really trying to paint a very comprehensive picture of what he was up to before, during, and following this shooting. And hopefully there will be some answers or at least some data that can point them in the right direction. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, we've all watched those true crime TVs, Dateline, NBCs, or whatever, and they, <laughs> they, they follow the, the person's uh, cell phone and they ping the thing off the tower and triangulate to know where they were at the time of murder. We know that stuff happens. Um, but everything else is on there too, including, and this is the part that I think freaks a lot of people out, including stuff you've deleted that you think is gone forever. Nothing is gone <laughs> forever, right? Yeah, the internet doesn't have a delete button. And even when we say delete, it doesn't really mean delete. Um, so for example, I'm on my computer, if I have a file that I'm working on, and then I decide, oh, I don't want it anymore, and I delete it, I'm not actually removing it from the drive. I'm simply removing the index in the operating system, but the actual file is still there. And until it gets overwritten on the drive, if someone wants to go in with specialized software, which is easy to download, it's free, 
uh, they can easily find the 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 the, the quote unquote deleted file there because it was never actually deleted. And so we often think, you know, well, well, I'll just throw it into the garbage bin or the recycle bin and I'll just nuke it. No, because someone can still go in there and pull it back from the cliff edge. And so we delude ourselves. We think, oh, I'm good because I've I've you know I've I've gotten rid of it. No, we haven't, and it really doesn't take a whole lot to bring it back. Is that true for, I mean, obviously forensic IT people know what they're doing and, as you say, have the software and the expertise, but are there people living in their basements right now who, is it simple enough that the average person who spends enough time figuring this stuff out could get into your phone if they found it and and access all this? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And if you don't know how to do it right now, uh, you can just go online and look for it, and uh, and you can either download kits that help you do it, or you can watch a YouTube video. It'll show you how to do it yourself. It's really not that hard to become a, a you know a, a forensic wizard uh, on your own time and use it to go after your own devices for fun or someone else's devices if you want to break the law. So um, it is shockingly easy, and the information for us to to actually engage in that kind of analysis. It's out there for the taking. It really isn't that difficult. Wait a second. You just said something there. When you said if you want to break the law, other people, can you hack into someone else's cell? Let's say you're on the same Wi-Fi or whatever. Can you get in and do that without physically having the phone in your hand? If they haven't uh, secured their devices, certainly. If they're on the same network, it's really not, again, I don't want to encourage anyone to break the law here, but it is... No, but we're worried about the people who would... That possible. Yeah, we're worried about the people who would do this, who wouldn't be so concerned about... I mean, if it's someone who's not going to break the law, we're not really worried about them. It's mm-hmm. the people who would be inclined to do it. That those are, And if you can, they will. Exactly, and that's why when we look at, at the own... Our own smartphones, you know, we, we, it, we owe it to ourselves to make sure that we're securing them as tightly as possible, that all of the security features that are made available on the device and on the, the apps and the operating systems that they come with, that we're taking advantage of them. So if encryption is there, turn it on. If dual-factor or multi-factor authentication is available, then turn that on too, even if it makes it a little bit less convenient. Because, you know, I think we, we all know full well that cyber crime is on uh, you know, a very steep uh, upswing. You know, the curve is tremendous now, thanks to the pandemic. Um, and and this is one of the what we call vectors. It's one of the ways that cyber criminals go after us. In many cases, they do target our phones directly because we aren't securing them as much as we can. And in the case of you know, of Mr. Baldwin, uh, I'm presuming that you know law enforcement is not going to have too difficult a time once they actually have physical access to his phone to basically pick it apart and pull off every piece of data that is relevant to them. That should be a wake-up call to the rest of us. We need to do mm. better to protect ourselves. Okay, so we only have a minute or so left here, but uh, so let's say you have done some embarrassing search. Let's say you've looked up hemorrhoid cream or, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and you're just, you're not thrilled about people finding this out. Do we have really any worries about this being up in the cloud that someone in some big office somewhere is monitoring all this? Or is our worry really only if we find ourselves in a situation like Alec Baldwin, where now there's a law that's been broken or a potential law that's been broken and the phone is now going to go into someone else's hands. If you're just carrying on your life day by day and keep minding your own business and you never get in trouble, that stuff's never going to appear, right? It probably won't, but at the same time, what if uh, you use a, a, if you install an insurance company app on your phone and, uh, and, and then you know, they use what the knowledge of that 
behavior to deny you a claim. So no, it isn't a high-profile case like the Rust shooting, uh, but it certainly is something that could do you harm. So you really do need to think it's, and increasingly, we're using our personal phones for work. A lot of people are working from home, remote, remote office, work from home. And so you're using the same personal phone for professional purposes. What if the two get crossed? And what if something that you've done on your personal phone um, gets shared to the corporate network and the company doesn't like it? So it may not be life-ending or career-ending, but it certainly could be embarrassing and could be damaging to your future. So you do want to start thinking about what you're doing with your devices and what would happen if it got out. Maybe I should protect it a bit better. Yeah, and you know, I mean, just the example, I mean, those all those devices we have at home now, whether it's Alexa or something else, I mean, we're hearing stories of you know, people getting messages popping up when they didn't realize they were on or something. I mean, I guess you have to assume now that if you have a device, phone or any other kind of device anywhere near you, assume that something is listening to you and making a track of you. Exactly. And and, that, and then go into the settings and look at them and ask yourself, have I, have I cast too wide a net or, or should I be tightening things a little bit? Because there are ways to reduce that risk, reduce our exposure, but we have to learn how to, how to get comfortable with the settings so that we can become masters yeah, of yeah. that. And if we aren't, basically whatever happens, it's essentially our fault because we didn't do enough to protect ourselves. Carmi Levy, always appreciate the time. Thanks for taking a few minutes today. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate it as well. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. 900 CHML, Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about the next little while, the next hour and a half here on the show, because we've tried to do this for a long time. And for whatever reason, busy schedules, salary demands, giant egos, and that's none of that. Uh, but we have tried for a long time to get the other hosts of the shows on this station. Rick Zamperin from Good Morning Hamilton, Bill Kelly from the Bill Kelly Show, Scott Thompson from Hamilton Today, and myself together for a roundtable. I mean, on my show in the evenings, I usually do a show in the evenings if you don't listen then. And uh, we do something on Friday evenings called The Brightest Conversation in Hamilton Radio. Uh, We've wanted to do this for a long time. Well, filling in for Scott Thompson today, he is under the weather, so he will not be joining us. But for a... For a special event on the last broadcasting Friday of the year, because next Friday is Christmas Eve and then New Year's Eve, Rick Zamprin from Good Morning Hamilton, Bill Kelly from The Bill Kelly Show are with us. Guys, thanks for doing this. Finally, we did it. Finally. That yeah, should be a just lot of say, I was just going to say good morning, but it's not good morning, so hello. <laughs> it's, well, it should be late at night for you, Rick. You've been up uh, forever here. Uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff to get to, and I appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, before we get to any of it, and I just want to finish, because this is the last bit I want to talk about this today, because uh, unfortunately, today has been COVID heavy. It's been Omicron heavy with everything going on. Bill, you've been covering this now for a year and a half, two years, almost coming up on two years. Is there a point Mm -hmm. when you're doing this that you just say, I am just entirely fatigued with covering COVID for one more day? Yeah, it happened about a year and a half ago. (laughs) Uh, But but it is what it is. I mean, you know, that's the reality. I I had Peter Uni, Dr. Uni on the show again today. He's been almost a semi-regular. I think he's actually the co-host on the show now. (laughs) But uh, it's always fascinating talking to him. Uh, because he's so forthright about these sorts of things, and he's he's just look at it, it, it's it's here. Uh, I think he used the analogy. He says if you're sitting on a beach and you see a tsunami, you don't you can't say I don't see any tsunami. It's there, and and this thing is with us, and you can't deny it away. It's not going to happen that way. I mean, we've seen the numbers that have doubled and tripled, and and well, you know, with the announcement that we've had today from the premier, we're kind of right back where we were almost 12 months ago now. 
uh, with limited access and limited uh, capacities and all of these sorts of things. Uh, and I understand that's frustrating, and it drives me nuts. It drives my family nuts. It drives everybody nuts. But it is what it is because of the fact that this thing is still spreading. And, you know, what we know about Omicron, it, it may not be as deadly, but it spreads just as fast. And if you get everybody sick, then, you you, you know, as Dr. Uni said, you're still going to have the hospitals overwhelmed. ICUs could be overwhelmed. we got to take this thing seriously. And, and we haven't done this. I, I lo you guys have all talked about this on your shows, and we've had a lot of the same experts on, Dr. Bogosh, Dr. Uni, and all these other folks, epidemiologists. I know more about epidemiology, Scott, than I think I ever wanted to know. But if the one message that comes through is, is that we've, We've taken half measures when we should have been, you know, really tough on this right from the start. And that's what's dragged this out. You know, people, a year ago, you and I were all talking about this and said, look, at boy, if we had the vaccine, everything would be fine. Well, we got the vaccine a couple of months after that. And now you got a bunch of people that say, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated. They're, they're part of the problem. And, and you know, we, we've turned our back and said, well, we don't want to play hardball with these people. Yeah, you should. And maybe now we're going to get the message that we've got to do some things here mm. that are very unpalatable to an awful lot of us. And I know it's 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 frightening and it's boring and it's tedious. But what's the option, Scott? If we don't do this, where yeah. are we going to be in three months? Rick, I mean, your uh, your show in the morning, um, and I, I hope everybody listens. It's a newish show. It's been on for a while now. But I mean, part of what you're doing is waking people up and trying to make them feel good about getting on with their day. And yet, you can't not do this. But it's got to be a, a huge juggling act to try and not depress everyone when they're getting out of bed in the morning. It is tough. And, you know, that, that COVID fatigue, I think, hit a lot of people, uh, you know, a few months ago. It really hit me personally when Omicron came about because, you know, it was looking pretty good. You know, we were in the summer. People were double vaxxed. We were over 80%. You know, we were talking about boosting the global vaccination rate and, you know, making sure that our vaccine inequality was a little more equal. And then Omicron comes about and now suddenly we're back almost to square one. It's like taking one step forward and two steps back. I can only imagine what our planet would look like if we did not have a vaccine. Uh, and I implore everyone to get vaccinated if they are not already and sign up for the booster shots if they are double vaxxed, because this is this is the way we're going to stay healthy. And I know restrictions and capacity limits and this and that are not ideal, um, but they're very much needed for the health and safety of our population. And, you know, these things just have to be done. It's a necessary evil. I know it does not benefit uh, people who own mom and pop shops uh, or who are just struggling to make ends meet. But uh, listen, the alternative is having no customers at all because they have COVID. So uh, we got to try and do our best. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's tough waking up in the morning and having this heavy news, but it's important to inform the public. And uh, we keep some other segments on the show a little lighter so we are not uh, you know, inundating them with all COVID information. Yeah, because you know what? I've had a couple people say to me over the last year and a bit, you guys love this. You guys love this. And it's like, no, I can honestly <laughs> think of about 12 trillion things I'd rather talk about at this point yeah. than COVID. I mean, if I never say the word COVID again, I would be just fine. Uh, however, I, I, I think we're destined to say it a few more times. It's um, not going away immediately. Uh, we are, though. We're going to take a very quick break and come back and dive into a whole bunch of things. Not COVID. The next, the rest of this until 6.30, I think we are going to be COVID-free. So you can take off your mask as long as you're alone. And um, 
Stick around for that. Rick Zamperin, Bill Kelly, Scott Radley. We have, for the next little while here on the show, a very special roundtable going with Rick Zamperin, host of Good Morning Hamilton, and Bill Kelly, host of the appropriately named Bill Kelly Show. The creativity involved in naming that one, Bill, was stunning, honestly. I mean, as good as the Scott Radley Show. Serendipitous, really. It really. It's amazing they found someone named Bill Kelly because they had that show. I know. Yeah. Uh, listen, to you two, uh, and I think everybody listening knows this, two of the biggest football fans in this area. Rick, of course, covered the team, well, has covered the team, play-by-play guy for the team, host of the fifth quarter now after Ticat Games. Bill, a huge football fan, season ticket holder, loves the team. So I'm throwing the biggest question of the year to you two guys right now. A week after the Grey Cup, or a few days after the Grey Cup, uh, we are hearing the CFL is looking at everything to try and boost scoring and to increase excitement. And on the table, we are told, is the possibility of considering going to four downs instead of three downs. Rick, uh, you get first crack at this by virtue of being the host of the fifth quarter. <laughs> uh, I don't know that that's the tiebreaker, but it's working for us today. Uh, three downs or four downs, is this something that you have strong feelings on or are you like, yeah, whatever? Uh, I absolutely have strong feelings on this. Uh, how can you not, being a Canadian and a Canadian football fan, there is no way I would be in support of four-down football north of the border. Um, that's the American game. That's their rules. I understand the Canadian Football League and you know those in the front office want to look at everything to boost scoring because, yes, scoring has been down. Scoring puts butts in the seats. Scoring makes people talk about the game. You know, those... 38-35 overtime games are quote unquote more exciting than the you know 21 to 15 you know defensive slobber knockers that you'll see on a Thursday night between Saskatchewan and Montreal. I don't know. Uh, to me, changing from three downs to four downs is sacrilegious. It is a no go zone. That's the hell I'm dying on. There's no way I go from three to four. I understand the premises behind it. But that is uh, one of the key pillars of this game. You make it four downs, it's no longer the CFL. What do you think, Bill? Are you also on that hill with Rick dying? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and no, we will overcome. Uh, you're right. It's not, it's not Canadian football if you do this. Uh, by the way, we invented the damn game first. So, I mean, you know, you guys down in the States, I love your game too, but it's a different kind of game. And, and three downs, the bigger field, the wider field, the deeper end zones, it's all part of, I think, what makes this such a great game. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the debate about which one is better. It's football, and it's two different ways of playing football, and we get that. And uh, so you don't have to be better than or anything else. I had a nice long conversation with the, during Grey Cup week with a lot of the guys, of course, as you guys know, we're in town. And uh, and, and David Sanchez was there and, and talking you know, from the TSN crew, and it was interesting to talk about that, you know, from an American perspective. And you know, now he's up here now doing this on a full-time basis. And he says, don't change the game. He says, that's one of the things that makes it great. Don't try to be like the NFL. Be better at being the CFL. And and that's maybe the best advice I could give these guys right now. Uh, you know, there are some things you can tinker with. If, if I can throw something else on the table, scrap the stupid overtime f- formula that they've been using for the last two years. It's stupid. Uh, you gave their play football, play football until somebody wins. But leave three downs as three downs. Yeah, okay. A limit, well, overtime, just on one comment on overtime, I didn't th- know we were going here. Uh, still way better, though, than what happened last night in the NFL between Kansas City and Los Angeles, where you end up with a team losing without getting to touch the ball in overtime. That still is the stupidest rule in football. At least the yeah, other team should, should get to touch the football. But, okay, back to the three downs. Um, 
if if you go to three to four downs, I agree with you. You will have a comparison with the NFL, and you're never going to win that comparison. You're never going to win that. But Rick, what I've never understood that seems to happen all the time, I've never understood the idea that you have to like one or the other. That you, if you're a CFL fan, you sort of have to carve out this spot where it's better than the NFL. Or if you're an NFL fan, the CFL sucks. I've never understood that football fans can't like both, even though they're different. I've never got that. Yeah, I've never gotten that either. And I think it's just, you know, to bolster their arguments, they shoot down the other league, which I think is completely unfair because when you look at it, you know, the, the wider fields, the longer field in the CFL, the one less down, the yard off the ball, the waggle, one more guy on the field. There are so many different, the bigger ball, there's so many different uh, aspects to the Canadian game compared to the American game that you have to look at it as two different entities. And I really don't say one is more or less exciting than the other. You can watch a game in the CFL on a Friday night between BC and and uh, in Edmonton, and it could be a really crappy game. And one game on a Sunday in the NFL can be, you know, the most amazing game you've ever seen. But for every bad game, there's a tremendous game. And yeah, while league-wide scoring is down, I think the fact of the matter is they're two different games. And I really appreciate them both in their own light because they're so different. Bill, the the other argument that the the devil's advocate side argument, though, to the three down, four down is that, look, the the audience for the CFL is older. It's You're not clearly connecting with the younger audience as much as you would like. Scoring is down. If it's not working, why wouldn't you go to the other thing and try and see if that would work? I got to push back on that a little bit because uh, we actually did a segment on the show about this uh, during Great Cup Week. And for the life of me, I can't think. It was it was done through Abacus Data, but I can't remember who sponsored it. But it was I'll, I'll hand it through the CFL. Uh, their audience is getting younger which I, I frankly shocked the, the people that were doing the poll too, because the, I think a lot of us just fell into what you just said there, Scott, that, oh, it's all an older audience. Yeah, they're there. We get that. Uh, but the TV audience is younger. Uh, it's the CFLs in, in many cities is becoming uh, the thing to do, the thing to, to follow, which I think is fabulous. Now, that's got to translate into revenues and things like that. And, uh, you know, during a COVID year like this, it's very difficult to actually ascertain whether or not there's going to be, you know, a return on investment and things like that from sponsors. But I, I again, go back to my advice to the CFL governors, stay the course here. Uh, the audience is getting younger. People are getting into this right now. Uh, you saw the enthusiasm in Hamilton this year for the football team. This wasn't the greatest season they ever had, but boy, the, the, the city came alive, not just during Grey Cup week, but during the last half of the season. And and I look around the stands there, and you guys up in the press box, it's this is not a, a senior's crowd down there. I mean, you know, there, there are people there that have been there probably for 20 or 30 years, but I, there are a lot of people there that... that, that you know, I got a, in the 20s, 30s that say, yeah, I like the Canadian League. It's exciting. It's brand new. I Look, at, I can tell you, you know, back in the day, the, the not so good days of the CFL back in the early 1990s, I had trouble giving tickets away when I was doing the afternoon show on the radio station. I was saying, yeah, I got three tickets for the game. Yeah, yeah so what? Uh, now, yeah, second prize is four tickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now, look at how it's a hot item, and it's great. And you talk to the folks at the, you know, in the in the Thai Cat store down at the stadium. Uh, merchandise is moving. I, I think things are starting to turn around. This is a, a kind of an anomaly because of what's gone on with COVID. But 
when we get back on our feet as a society and as a community and as a country, I, I think you're going to see the CFL start to flourish again. Okay, so Rick, <laughs> if if the idea behind the four-down discussion is that offense has been dropping and the CFL used to be the offensive, fun, explosive, amazing league, it's been going down and down and down, you add another down, you're going to create more offense. If we take that off the table, how do you find that extra offense? What's the change that you make that brings the offense? And the one change I would make, and I know we got to run here, is fixing free agency. There are too many players that are jumping uh, from team to team, and the cohesiveness between, especially on offense, which is much more difficult to play than defense because it's much more reactionary on defense. And, uh, you know, you really have to execute on offense to score a lot of points, especially in the three-down game. But if they fix free agency, case in point, free agent lists were issued today. It opens February 8th. The Ticats have 34 players on their free agency list. The Bombers, 49. A lot of those players are going to move off, and that cohesiveness and that synergy is going to be absolutely lost. If they can fix free agency and get more quality players up here, I think the offense will... Um, by osmosis, be a lot better than what we've seen over the last number of years. We do have to run. Uh, Rick apparently knows how to do radio. Bill Kelly from the Bill Kelly Show. Rick Zamperin from Good Morning Hamilton. Special roundtable here on the show. Uh, Dorothy had lovely things to say about both you gentlemen. So that was uh, a regular devoted listener, and uh, she appreciates all you guys do. So well done. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, for sure. We we do appreciate that. And I should say, by the way, ratings came out last week, and uh, Rick and Bill, boy, ratings juggernauts here on the station. They they carry this place on their back, both of them. Uh, well done. All right. Um, we have decisions to make in this country. Uh, well, not you and I per se, but Canada does, because the Olympics are coming up in a couple months now, and we've already decided that we're not going to send diplomats, which... Seems like if you really break it down like a big nothing, because it turns out the National Post did a little digging and found out that amounts to exactly one person who would have been going. So it, it's hardly a uh, a massive blow to China's fortunes or ego, whatever. Uh, but we've also got Omicron, we've got NHL players, and we've got all this and that and, and human rights things. And Bill, when you when you look at this, we, we know what happened with Tokyo. Uh, there's that plus in this particular case, what should Canada be doing as far as the Olympics? I mean, should we be sending, honestly, should we be sending anyone at this point, either for health safety or for political reasons? Should we be doing the Olympics in a couple of months? Well, for a couple of things. First of all, uh, don't wait for China to make a decision on this because they're not going to cancel it, no matter what. Uh, no matter how bad this gets. Uh, this is their show. They build all kinds of stuff. Uh, Countries like this and China, how many times has China in the last 20 years hosted a, a summer or winter Olympics? This is their opportunity to be on the on the international stage and say, see, we're not so bad after all. Look at what we do here. You know, brotherhood and sisterhood and, you know, we encourage athleticism and, and it's, it's, it's a show. So they need to put on their show and you need athletes to put on the show, uh, which is why the, the pressure is going to be on these guys. Uh, I, I understand the diplomatic uh, thing is, is, is kind of a, a you know, it, it's a, a wet napkin, really. As I mentioned on the show when they made that announcement, I said that means there's a lot, an awful lot of canopies aren't going to get eaten at all the receptions now. <laughs> but other than that, it's not going to have much of an impact on what's going to happen in the Olympics. Uh, I think the athletes are, are probably going to want to go no matter what. Uh, I mean, your point about what happened in Tokyo, I think, is, is, is very germane here. 
the pandemic was in pretty rough shape then too. We were looking at, at, at increasing numbers. Uh, they tried to manage it, and I think they did a pretty decent job, and I think that's what you're going to see here. There will be athletes uh, that are going to say, are you kidding? Not doing this. As a matter of fact, I still don't think the NHL is going to show up. Uh, they've got till like January 10th or something to make up their decision, to make up their mind about that. But the other individual athletes, the ones that have trained for so long, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to show up. And I think Canada is going to just kind of turn a blind eye and say, oh, yeah, these human rights and the, and the two Michaels. Yeah, we're really still ticked about that. But, uh, gee, we hope we win some gold. That's, that's that's the hypocrisy of the games. But, frankly, it's been that way for about the last 60 years anyway. Yeah, Rick, one of the most funny things that I saw recently was there was a spokesman for the Chinese government who said, it, why are we making these games so political? We've got to stop making these games. The Olympics are all politics. I mean, there's sports involved, but you have flags and you sing national anthems and you wear your country's colors. This is all politics. Yeah, gone are the days where we would just cheer on athletes because it was, you know, an athletic achievement to win, you know, the 100 meter sprint or the long jump or whatever the competition was. But yeah, it's been it's been politics for eons. And, you know, I'm, I'm not in favor of saying, you know, we're, we're not going to go to the games at all. That really penalizes those who have worked, you know, really, in some cases, all their lives to go to the games and represent their country and do their best in their particular sport. Uh, from a political aspect, though, you know, the diplomatic boycott, I, I understand what the Chinese officials are saying in terms of, you know, stop politicizing uh, the Olympics. But, the, you know, that that uh, the cat is out of the bag in that regard. This was, you know, optically a slap in the face to China to say, listen, we don't agree with what is going on in that nation with the Uyghurs. Uh, this has to stop. You know, we're this is this is our opportunity to shine a bigger spotlight on what's happening in that nation. And by the way, Beijing is the first city in the history of the Olympics to host a summer and winter game. So, uh, you know, the, the IOC has put a lot of uh, money and a lot of faith in China, and they're looking for something back in return that is not as political as what it's uh, becoming uh, all of a sudden. So, you know, and, and really, China is to blame. So they, uh, they're not going to do anything about it. But uh, it's, it's nice to know that uh, places like the U.S. and Canada and other nations like the U.K. and Australia are shining a spotlight on this issue. Yeah, you know, I, look. But on I, that point, though, on yeah, that go, point though, Scott, I mean, let's, let's put, just from a historical perspective, uh, Beijing got these games because not too many other cities in the world want to do this yeah. anymore because they understand just how bloody expensive it is and what a pain in the butt it is. China will always bid on these because guess what? The taxpayers never complain. No matter how much it costs, just like so, you know, they build forty-eight thousand sky. Yeah, sky. It takes them a day and a half to build a hospital, uh, and nobody complains because if they do, you know what happens to them. It's it's <laughs> sad, really, that that's the situation in that country. Uh, but that's what it's come down to right now. Most other cities and countries, and we saw we saw this with the, the Canadian bids for future Olympics. No, I'm backing out. Calgary backs out. BC backs out. It's just too damned expensive and and too much of a, a pain in the butt to do anymore. Uh, that's why you're going to see countries like China and Korea and others say, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. Sure, we don't care how much money it costs. But Bill, that's the very reason, and, and I know you know this, but that's the very reason why the talk of a boycott is there because those things, you know, we've got the Uyghur thing, we've got uh, Taiwan, we've got Hong Kong, we've got all these things going on. And look, I am... I am absolutely uh, the, the last person to not have respect. I have tons of respect for the athletes who have trained and trained and trained for this, and this is their chance. But I do also feel ugh, queasy almost about sending athletes to give 
the, and again, let, let's be clear, not the Chinese people. We're not talking about the Chinese people here at all. We're talking about the Chinese regime that gives the Chinese regime that moment. I, I just, I, I find it really difficult and makes my stomach almost upset to think we are somehow helping them to feel good about themselves on the world stage with what's happening. I, it's it's yeah. hard. It's almost like for two weeks we're just ignoring or just yes. you know uh, sweeping all the, the these important issues under the rug because you know we're enamored by the athletes that we're cheering for and the, and the countries that we're cheering for and meanwhile there's people that are you know basically being held in concentration camps and being wiped off the map uh, and we're just ignoring that fact and then when the Olympics are over then we'll pay attention to it once again it's kind of sad. What would happen and, and if you know I know they say athletes are not they did this in Tokyo they said you can't make political statements on the podium. And I don't believe for a second that had anything to do with Tokyo. I think that was just putting in the rules ahead of time because of Beijing coming up. But what would happen if Canada's Olympic uniforms had like the Uyghur flag or something on it? That we built that right in so every person who stood up on the platform for Canada was making a statement or the Taiwanese flag or the Hong Kong flag. I I would love that. I don't know if they'd be allowed to do that, but do something. We got to do something. It would end up like Peng Shui. But the concern with the yeah, the concern with that is you don't know how the the government over there is going to respond to that. Uh, you know, and I'm not suggesting that, hey, you know, it's, they're going to grab somebody right off the podium and, and throw them in jail. Uh, but there could be repercussions to that individual. Uh, all of a sudden, hey, you know, uh, you know, Rick Zamperin decides he's going to hold up a, you know, a fist and says, you know, free the Uyghurs. Uh, next thing you know, uh, Rick Zamperin's got a positive test. Sorry, Mr. Zamperin, you're not allowed on a plane for the next six weeks. You have to stay here. Yeah. There, there are ways that they can get around this, and that, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the National Hockey League players are having some second thoughts because they're afraid of repercussions down over there. Yeah, or Mr. Zamperin went for a walk to get some fresh air in the evening and he just disappeared and we do, we don't know where he is. I mean, like, yeah, any, that, it, listen, that Zamperin guy is sketchy to begin with. But yeah, they, they, there could be a, a bunch of Canadians that are suddenly Peng Shui who, you know, went missing weeks ago and uh, still not has been seen. And, you know, if I'm a Canadian athlete, I'm really, really nervous. And if I'm an American athlete, I'm really, really nervous about going to China, whether you're in NHL or making a gazillion dollars a year or an amateur athlete. Uh, in the pole vault, uh, I'm I'm really really nervous. Yeah, you know what? You know the way around this is what. Remember the debate we got we had about this about eight or ten years ago. Is forget this this idiotic idea about trying to shift around. The Summer Olympics should be in Greece every four years because that's where they originated from. That's that's where it is. Winter Olympics so it came along much later. Put them in I don't know in somewhere in Oslo, Kitzbühel or, or some place like that, and that's where it's going to be. So you know, build the facilities there. All the Olympic nations can kick in for the, the maintenance of those facilities, and that's where it's going to be. Forget about this this crap about trying to score political points and putting it in Moscow or Los Angeles or anything else. It's just not working. Even if you said, Bill, and it's a it's a great idea that's been discussed. Even if you said for the for a twenty year block, we've got the Olympics summer here, winter here, so you get four or five games, and you just refresh the facilities. So guaranteed, you're going to maintain those. And the money is going to be spent for a good reason. Even that would be something, but that's, we're into a whole other discussion. And sadly, I'm looking at the clock and we have a break that we have to take, but we will come back. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Special roundtable with Bill Kelly and Rick Zamperin and a song request from George on All Requests Friday. Although when I hear this. I'm thinking this song might be a little too sexy for Rick and Bill and Scott together on the air. 
It's getting steamy. It's getting steamy. I feel like I'm sitting behind you. I feel like making pottery right Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm sitting behind Rick (laughs) making a pot on a wheel, and there's clay flying everywhere, and uh, both of our wives are concerned. Why is it, though, with our our three guys, why are we not thinking of that scene from Ghost now, but the one from The Naked Gun that parodied that one? That's the one that's in our heads. Sad, Yeah, well, uh, talk about a song that was a great song that has now been latched forever to one particular scene. (laughs) Uh, For better or for worse, I mean, some people would say, hey, you could be latched to a lot worse scenes than a song that millions of people have made babies to, I suppose, over the years. So anyway, uh, listen. Uh, and nice pottery as well. Speaking of making babies oh, yeah. uh, and pottery, speaking of making babies, um, there is a segue to what I was going to talk about next, and it's not what you think. I want to hear this. Yeah, me too. I'm going to figure out how to work this one. So <laughs> there is a story that is out of Pennsylvania from this week. A woman drove herself in her self-driving Tesla car to the hospital and en route gave birth in the car because it's self-driving. One of these cars that you don't have to do anything with, she, we've heard of people giving birth on the highway while their husbands are driving and she's in the backseat. This is a woman driving herself there. That's amazing, I suppose, in the sense that, wow, look at what technology can do. But Rick, I, you know, leaving, I mean, that's, this is the extremest of all extreme examples, but we've been hearing now for a while that we are getting closer and closer to having self-driving cars, whether it's in Ontario or Hamilton or Canada or wherever. Leaving the birthing part aside, are, are you comfortable with the idea of driving your car along the street and having the person next to you asleep in the driver's seat while the car looks after itself? I think after a while, we'll get used to it, like most things that come and, and, you know, we're very hesitant to, you know, jump into these things. For me, I'll just tell you personally, I I am ruining the day when I'm no longer able to drive my own vehicle because I really take pleasure in driving and maneuvering and, you know, seeing, uh, you know, several, um, you know, vehicles or whatever lanes in front of me and, trying to forecast how I'm going to, you know, weave through this traffic. I really, uh, you know, get a kick out of it while doing it safely, having to, (laughs) you know, sit back and relax and let the car do everything. And I don't have, you know, get to have any fun other than maybe watching a movie while this thing is going down the highway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really not looking forward to this at all. And yeah, I would be nervous at the onset for sure of someone, you know, as I look to my left or right, checking my blonde blind spot, seeing somebody snoozing in the driver's seat as their vehicle launches down Main Street. Uh, I'm, I'm very nervous. Bill? Uh, I know Rebecca's listening to this right now, and she's, she's looking because I don't even like being a passenger in a car. Uh, I, I just, I, I guess it's a control thing. I don't know. I, of course, I deny it's a control thing. But I, I'm like Rick. I'm, I'm there. I want to have the wheel. I want to be in control of what I'm doing, looking in the rear view, checking what's going on. Uh, and I, I know I don't feel comfortable like this at all. I just don't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of these. Even the odd time I've had to be at the passenger, you're driving. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you you, pu- you push, you're pumping the brake on the floor, even though you don't have a brake there, <laughs> or the gas, or whatever the case might be. I'm not ready to do that yet, and I don't think the science is there yet. I mean, you know, when we do our tech talk feature with Adam Oldfield every Friday, he always gives us an update on what's going on with electric technology and self-driving. Boy, we got a long way to go because every time we say, hey, we're this close, it's coming closer, uh, you hear about some collision or somebody drove off a cliff or something because they didn't have all the technology. Uh, they're still working on this. and I, I don't think we're going to have to make a decision about this in 2022. Let me put it that way. But are we ever? This is the thing. Is I, I mean, I know that people say we're not close right now, but look, uh, how many years now have personal computers been in 
in operation. We, we, they are such a part of our life now. And yet, you know what? Probably each of you in the past month or two has had your computer freeze on you at least once. And I look at this and I think, I know it's going to be slightly different in batteries, but any computer can glitch. It's it's possible for any computer to glitch, and the yeah. idea of you being in the lane next to me and your car computer glitches, even for three or four seconds if you're on the highway going 110, you can do an amazing amount of damage in two or three seconds at that speed if the car in front of you stops or something. And I, I don't know. I mean, I love the idea of technology. I, I just don't always love the practical application and thinking this is really a good idea. Yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen when your laptop or your desktop glitches in your home office? Like you're putting a hole in your keyboard, right? Mm. Uh, you know, magnify that by a ton and you're driving to someone else's vehicle. I mean, the damage is way more severe. Like your planes, uh, well, pilots, uh, pilots, Bill, pilots have automatic pilot, but they're still yeah. sitting there ready to take over if something goes wrong. Well, that's what they tell us, but let's <laughs> put the fear of God in a few people there. But, but imagine this, so, you know, the, the 403 or the 401 or whatever you, you drive in on some crazy Friday afternoon, if all of a sudden there's a huge crash and it happens, we've seen this happen before, your, your internet goes down for sometimes hours, everything stops. Everything stops all of a sudden because all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the brain, which is running all of this stuff right now, just said, I need a break. Uh, so, you know, train stop, car stop, everything. I, I like to have alternatives. I like to have options. That's why I'm not even crazy about totally electric cars right now. Cause you know, if you, the charge on the battery goes off, uh, you, you're, you're stuck there. Uh, I like the idea of, of the hybrid, but so, okay, I've got a plan B and I don't see with self-driving cars that there's a plan B here yet. And I think that's one of the things they have to work on to, to I think, dissuade a lot of the concerns where a lot of us are feeling these days. Uh, yeah, the New York Times, by the way, also had a piece uh, December 7th, so about a week ago, that uh, they've discovered that uh, people have discovered that you can play solitaire on the big monitor on the screen, that it's loaded on there. So as you're driving along, <laughs> uh, you can be having, you can be playing video games already on the screens and the self-driving isn't even perfected yet. It's just, now, look, I, we got to run here, but it's not like the rest of us don't have other things that distract us in our car. I mean, heaven knows we have phones and we have compu- the, the radio. And I mean, some of the radios now are amazing in cars, but I don't know. The idea of someone just not even paying attention, just reading a book while they're driving along, boy, a um, little nerve wracking for me. Anyway. Sadly, guys, sadly, during all those days I was commuting, uh, I saw all that stuff. And that was long before self-driving cars. <laughs> Somebody reading a book at the steering wheel, somebody putting on makeup, somebody, you know, as you say, having a hamburger and a, and a coffee or something. Uh, so just, you're right. Distracted driving has always been there. I think this is just taking it to the nth degree, isn't it? Uh, it? It is. A few years ago, we were coming home from the cottage on the 401 and saw a woman playing a didgeridoo in her in her car while driving. <laughs> I, may, I kid you not, I took a video of it. I have proof. And it was like, all right. All right. You weren't you can, driving when you took the video. I was in you? the back seat. My wife was driving. Okay. All right. Yes. All um, I will say is I'm okay with the autopilot in the plane as long as it's not the blow up doll that we saw on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Roger, Roger. <laughs> Bill, let me go to you on this one first. We're going to talk a little bit about city politics and city of Hamilton stuff here. I had Brenda Johnson, Ward 11 Councilor Brenda Johnson, on the yep. show last night. And we were talking about the inquiry or inquiry, depending how you want to say it, into the Red Hill Creek Expressway situation with the paving, asphalt, whatever else. This was something that when it was 
first brought up, it was supposed to cost five, six, seven million dollars, maybe. Then all of a sudden, it jumped to eleven million. And this week, we've learned that this thing could now lurch all the way up to twenty million dollars, maybe beyond. And we haven't even gotten to the hearings phase of this thing yet. And Bill, I don't like. Look, I I just don't understand. I am at a loss to understand how the work that is being done to investigate this, not saying they're not doing good work, whoever's doing it, but how is the work being done just to investigate this costing us $20 million? This this seems ridiculous. Well, the, the, yeah, the price tag's outrageous. I get that. but And, and I'm not going to try to defend what's going on, but I just know that, look, at, uh, this this sort of stuff, is, is it's arduous work. You have to go through documents. We're told, by the way, uh, that the city was not forthcoming uh, with the, the request for a lot of these documents. Time is money. You know, when you've got people looking into this, you've got forensic accountants, you've got legal people looking into this. Uh, if they're waiting for documents, they're going over documents, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. That's the way things are. It, this is not being done in an expeditious manner. Uh, COVID's part of it. I get that. We, we're told that. COVID's affected everything, and I'm sure that's had an impact on the price. Uh now we're not even sure, by the way, that the, the province might even kick into this. And, you know, you've seen the debate. And I know you guys have both talked about this on your shows. Uh, the pro- provincial government's paying for the inquiry into the LRT in Ottawa. And and I know that Hamilton Council's saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. What what about this? Because they are involved in this uh, with the Red Hill. Because the, the provincial government, uh, I don't want to say signed off on, but they were aware of some of these problems and said nothing and did nothing. So they got a they got a dog in this hunt right now. So I'd like to see that they're going to kick in part of this. The number is outrageous, but on the other hand, uh, if we'd gone for the no frills version of this, I know that most people in this community would say, "Well, there they go, covering it up again." We yeah. found out nothing. Uh, and 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 by the way, I uh, let's you know, it's easy to get outraged, anger about the, the big number here, but let's wait until it's over and say, "Okay, we finally found out." All right, it, you know, I'm not going to say it was worth it for $20 million, but did we get our money's worth? Did we get the answers that we wanted? Uh, and right now, we don't have any answers. So mm-hmm. let's let's let the process go out uh, and see just where the province is going to be on this, too. Yeah, I don't know that, honestly, that Hamilton City Council can be screaming too loudly that the government, the provincial government, should be helping with this particular inquiry because the folks in Ottawa are screaming that we got money from the provincial government and the federal government to cover our whole LRT, and they had to pay for most of theirs. So I guess you're getting one or the other. But, Rick, to to Bill's point, look, Bill's right. Time is money for sure. But how much time do you have to be putting in to rack up a bill of $20 million? Like someone, what, 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 it, it, Rick, is this a case that if it's because it's public money that we can charge whatever we want and the public is going to pay for it? Because how much work would you have to do to come up with $20 million worth? It's incredible. Well, me personally, I'd have to work for the next 7,000 years to get to $20 million, uh, in my bank account. And I should have been a lawyer or a judge because not only is the city out, uh, you know, and let's face it, this thing is going to go north of $20 million by, the, you know, the end of this thing. Let's not forget, it costs, you know, over $8 million to repave the highway because it was obviously incorrect. All the money spent to change the signage, reduce the speed limit, patrol that area. I mean, this is in the gazillions of dollars. And at the end of the day, people have lost their lives. There's been crashes on the route. And, uh, you know, the, this report identifying, you know, some uh, inefficiencies with the roads uh, was obviously not brought to light soon enough. And, you know, if that means one firing or two people get fired, is that really worth 20, 30, 40 million dollars? 
I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we have to do our due diligence, find the answer to this, but at the end of the day, this is costing way too much money. I, I j- again, I just like I remember Bill. We had the discuss. We didn't have the discussion. Maybe you had the discussion on your show. Maybe I did too. I can't remember. But the city had the discussion that a little while ago that consultants were like getting exorbitant amounts of money for consulting work because it was. You can. It's public money, so you can charge kind of whatever you want. And I just look at this and I think, I just I can't imagine what you could possibly be doing to bring it up to $20 million. I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be costly, but $20 million is just outrageous. Well, and that's an estimate right now. That's We, no, we haven't received the bill for this, okay? So let's, let's just, you know, not jump to conclusions here, okay? Uh, and Rick's right. I mean, there, there could be major cost overruns too, but they, they're, they're right now guessing what's going to go on. And we don't know once the process starts. But, and they haven't, like you said, they haven't even started interviewing witnesses at this stage. But but here's the overriding but thing. We've, sorry, but we we've already paid $11 this, million. We've already paid $11 million. We know yeah. that it's at least that. So yeah. sorry, carry on. Yeah. And But let's put this in the context of Who's responsible for this? People died on this road. Uh, was was the, the, the malfeasance that happened here a, a contributing factor? I'd like to know as a taxpayer who messed up. Uh, I know that, let's, you know, the elephant in the room here, by the way, is there's a pending lawsuit here from the people that were impacted by this and the families of the survivors. Uh, and, and this information is going to be very important to them. But you, you couple this, you couple this with the, 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 over on the other side of town, of course, the, the sewage gate. And hey, they knew about this and city council kept that hidden from us. I think there's a, a real concern here in this community right now to say, What's going on at City Hall? Why aren't they telling us what's going on? And why do they tend to throw a big black curtain over everything and say, nothing to see here, people? I, I think we're getting fed up with this. And I know this Good. is a huge price tag for it, but this might be the culmination of, of years of years of people just saying, you know what, you've put us in the dark too long, City Hall and City Council. We want answers. And good point on the class action lawsuit too, Bill. That's a quarter of a billion dollars. Think of all the good that could have come out of this money that's this 11 million upwards of 20 million who knows if it's 250 million the, the settlement for the lawsuit that's a lot of homes that's a lot of rec centers that's a lot of things that we're not going to see now yeah i don't know if if they were to lose the lawsuit i don't know if that's covered by any kind of insurance or if that comes out of our taxes I, maybe bill you know maybe rick you know i'm not sure i would assume there's some insurance for that but i'll say this i after this one and this is not a this is not a flippant thing. Obviously, as as Bill has pointed out rightly, this is an important thing. But the next time something happens, whether it's in a year or five years or twenty years, uh, it could be even more serious. And I don't think there's going to be any appetite whatsoever in this city to go down this path. And I think a lot of taxpayers will say, not interested. Not when this one now costs twenty million dollars, roughly. No way. Anyway, uh, listen, we got to take one more quick break. But it comes break. down to culpability. Yes. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. There, Bill, this, there's this no radio. Question. This radio thing. This. Yeah, I know. You know, it, it's just it's one of these things where somebody saw this report. Somebody just threw it in the bottom drawer and said, "Okay, let's not show this to anybody." Uh, and and I got a problem with that as a taxpayer. I mean, I spent a few years in municipal government too, and 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 I got to tell you something, guys. If I was on council at that, I'd be pissed that the people that were supposed to be the guardians, I mean, the staff are supposed to be the experts in this. If somebody covered this up and, and people were injured or died as a result of this, somebody's got to be held accountable. And right now it's the whole city. Uh, you know, the process has to unfold. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and sorry as all of you guys, that it's going to cost an awful lot of money. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there's got to be a reckoning here. 
Let's take a very quick break. Going to come back and pick up this topic and other city stuff right after this. Stay with us. A few minutes left here with Bill Kelly and Rick Zampert on a special roundtable here on Hamilton Today. And guys, just before the break, we're talking about municipal politics. And Bill, you had said something about, you know, uh, um, people being dissatisfied, essentially. I, I know there's a lot of yelling right now on social media, a lot of loud voices right now who are calling for massive changes on Hamilton City Council in the election coming up this year. Do you really think that's going to happen? No. Because uh, it never does. Uh, it rarely does. Uh, if you have, you see, well, we have a lot of 16 member council, maybe two or three changes on any given, and that's considered a, a, a tidal wave when that happens. The numbers are, are obvious, guys. Uh, and this is not just a Hamilton statistic. It's, a, it's an Ontario-wide statistic. 95% of incumbents always get reelected in municipal elections. And a lot of it has to do with name recognition, uh, that they have the huge advantage. Uh, fundraising for campaigns is, is very, very difficult, especially if you're a newbie to the to the process. Uh, and I see the voices, guys. You know, we all see social media. We're all in tune with this. We get the feedback from our listeners, uh, you know, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case might be, or emails. But at the end of the day, uh, people go you know, with what they're comfortable with. Uh, most of the incumbents are probably going to get reelected. And, and again, a lot of it's going to depend on the quality of people that try to challenge them. Mm. But I know one of the biggest concerns, a lot of these things I, the, uh, people on social media are saying, well, I've got too many people that have been there for too long. <sighs> that People are comfortable with them. You know, we've always heard this, that, well, we're going to, there's going to be a new mayor, there's going to be a new councillor, and it doesn't work out. I, I'm not su- suggesting it's not going to happen. But I, I am not expecting this huge sea change that a lot of people are predicting right now because it just doesn't happen very often in municipal politics. And, and you know, the fact that on social media you might see an outcry and on some very justifiable items, things that need to be debated and certainly need to be discussed and people need to be held account for, uh, at the end of the day, most people, and I'm, I'm try, trying not to sound too cynical here, though, Scott, most people are saying, does my garbage get picked up? Does my snow get plowed? Uh, you know, does, are my sidewalks being fixed? Yeah, okay, I'm pretty good with that. And, uh, of course, my taxes are too high. Everybody's taxes are mm-hmm. too high. But if, if all that stuff is doing, in other words, all the stuff in your neighborhood is, is cool and you're pretty comfortable with it, you're probably going to vote for the incumbent again. And that's what happens more often than not. Rick, would you disagree or are you expecting it to look similar again? Yeah, I'm in full agreement with Bill. I don't expect too many changes, if any. I think it comes down to, you know, another factor being the engagement aspect. Uh, you know, there's certainly, uh, uh, you know, small pockets in every city, and I've lived and, and covered politics in, in various cities across this country where there's that engagement. But overall, I mean, you uh, you hold a debate of councillors in any given ward in any given year, and there's a smattering of people that show up. And, you know, they might vote for the incumbent or, you know, someone who's trying to you know land a council seat for the first time uh, the voter turnout is very small there's very little engagement when it comes to the election and uh, and political process at the municipal level there isn't the sexy names and the cachet and uh, you know the uh, the uh, political parties that go behind these individuals that make it a little more interesting or disinteresting at the end of the day yeah that comfortability that bill speaks of it rules the roost and you know when ultimately you get to the ballot box and you see the names on the ballot and you recognize the one that's on there 
even if you don't follow politics, you're probably going with that one because, yeah, I remember that. That recall uh, is worth a lot. So, yeah, I'm not expecting a lot of change on council next uh, next summer. And let's make it a three uh, because I, I don't. I mean, I, I hear all the yelling and I hear all the loud voices, but I just I don't think it's going to translate into much. And I'll tell you why. And it's what Bill said a moment ago. It's not just enough to purge someone out of council. you got to have someone to replace them. And uh, first of all, I don't know how many people watch the debates leading into it in municipal uh, politics, but if you have municipal ward debates are not always a gathering of Mensa. Um, <laughs> you, like there's a lot of people who run and good for them for running and for wanting to be involved, but you're not necessarily choosing when you look at everyone going, I'm very confident that person could run a ward or could sit around the council table. It's, it's, it's not always that way. And furthermore, Bill, and we got only a minute or so here left. I, I don't think that people in this city want to see council veer way to the right and suddenly have a whole bunch of everybody on the council be conservative. But I also don't think that people in the city want the council to veer all the way to the left and everybody be wildly progressive. And so you start plucking out people from that as well. And you know what? Ultimately, uh, there's a lot of people who sort of have figured their way to be in the middle who are on council right now. And even if they, even if there's things that have been done wrong, I think largely a lot of people are just comfortable with the status quo. Oh, there's a value. I, you guys said I got a minute. I'll take 30 and Rick can have the other 30. Uh, incumbency is so important because they know the people in that ward. Uh, and the, you know that if you live in Ancaster, like like I do, or you live in the east end of Hamilton, or you live up in, in, in Glanbrook, you know that, for instance, LRT is not a big issue. They don't really care because it doesn't impact them. I, I'm not suggesting it's not a big issue. I'm just saying that's the mindset of those people that are going to vote in that particular ward. Uh, you know, this road might be a, a big issue. You play to that. You play to what the people that are going to vote for in your ward are, are are concerned about. And that's how these people get reelected. Too many people that are saying we got to blow everything out here are concerned about macro issues. And most people at the municipal level don't pay much attention to that. They're more concerned about their lives and their neighborhoods. Yeah. Rick, what I'll add to that might be a little controversial is these councillors and this mayor must be doing something right. Uh, otherwise, they're probably not going back to the polls. I mean, if there were scandals left, right, and center and, uh, uh, you know, horrible spending habits and, uh, you know, uh, other, you know, allegations of misconduct, they would have been gone a long time ago. So they must be doing at least something right. So let's give them a little bit of credit. Uh, yeah, there's been some, you know, heady stuff. There has been some scandals in the past, whether it's, you know, Coots Paradise and the spill. And, you know, we just got done chatting about the Red Hill. It's not perfect, but uh, let's give them a little bit of credit at least. Yeah, they've Look, put it this way. They've done enough to make people comfortable that they can still do it. Yeah. And, w- and we'll see whether that continues. Uh, but all three of us not entirely expecting a, a tsunami at the at the ballot box. However, we will see. No. Uh, guys, We uh, I wish we could keep going. And I know we've had some listeners calling in saying we w- they wish we could keep going. And we'll have to do this again at some point. But um, we are out of time. Bill Kelly, uh, Rick Zamperin, really appreciate it. I know you've already done three and a half and three hours of radio today. And I appreciate you coming on for another hour and a half. Um, you can go have a beer now or a coffee or whatever you like. <laughs> Thanks, Scotty. See you, Bill. This was fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, folks, thank you for listening today. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you to Will for looking after everything today. He lined the show up. He did all the work on the board to keep us on the air. Thank you to Will Erskine. Uh, folks, thank you for listening. Hope Scott Thompson is better by Monday or at least finished his shopping. <laughs> if you were listening early, he's not shopping, but we were kidding. Uh, listen, folks, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.